G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 2 Review Edition and as always, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season with Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly and eventful Weekend of footy this, we had um, mass crowd incursions, we had evacuations, we had the sixth person ever to reach a thousand goal milestone, we had upsets, we had significant injuries, can't think of much, we didn't have, as I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Robert Shaw, what'd you make of it all, Shorey? A bit of all that, Rowan, but of course, Lance Franklin, well done. What a fantastic performance. A lot of discussion about safety and procedure and and um, security and structure and all that. Uh, you know, I, I think let the people be the people. You know, it has been the tribal game, a people game. Let's celebrate it. Um, uh, the papers will be full of to tag or not to tag, given uh, Callum Mills's great job on Patrick Dangerfield and uh, Ben Rutten taking the opposite approach to Lockie Neal. And finally, um, a, a, a few old veterans flexing some muscles we haven't seen for a while. Carlton, Hawthorne and Collingwood getting off to great starts to the year. Well, a lot to talk about uh, in a variety of contexts. Nine games to discuss in detail. We're going to analyse them to the nth degree. So let's not waste any more time on the preamble. Let's get into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Round two of the 2022 AFL season got underway Thursday evening at Marvel Stadium in front of a healthy crowd, nearly 35,000. Hopefully healthy literally as well as metaphorically in these virus challenge times. And they saw another excellent win from the apparently resurgent Carlton Football Club, 12-point victors over the Western Bulldogs. The final scores, 16 goals, 6. Gee, accuracy helps. 102, defeating the Bulldogs, 13-12, 90. Speaking about accuracy, the Doggies really shot themselves in the foot in that last quarter when they had a lot of the play, but 2-7, the return from that dominance in the final quarter. However, that said, a fantastic performance by the Blues. Let's look at the goal kickers. And two men stood tall, literally and metaphorically again. Five to Charlie Kernow. Boy, a lot of Blues will be uh, beside themselves about that performance. Four to Harry Mackay. So that big duo, nine goals between them. Two to Cripps, two to Silvani, singles for the rest. For the Doggies, two goals each to Liberatore, Scott and Hannon. Singles the rest, but a real difference in the effectiveness of those two forward lines. And uh, Carlton, two from two. And, uh, well, Rob, they said back in 2008, can you smell what we're cooking? And uh, 14 years on, 
I think I finally can. Was that that long ago, mate? It was. Goodness me. Look, um, a couple a couple of early observations. It was always going to be an interesting ruck duel between a couple of young blokes, Pitney with his strength and English with his mobility. And it worked out that way, even from the first bounce. Pitney got a beautiful tap down and the Blues were away. But then English found himself pushing forward and actually both players' strengths worried worried each other. Uh, English kicked a nice goal early. Still no Liberatore in the starting centre square. So I'm not sure what's going on there, given that his last game of 2021... Oh, no, the elimination final of 2021 was... Um, uh, was a blinder down in uh, Tasmania. So I'm not sure what's going on there. It looked like Cripps and Bontempelli matched up in each centre square. But as the game evolved, this this amazing recruit that Carlton have picked up called George. Now, there's not many players called George playing AFL, but Carlton have got the right one, George Hewitt. He would then cross over between Bontempelli and when Liberatore came on the ball, then he'd move on to him. What an amazing, versatile player. Um, not a huge name recruit, but extremely effective for the Carlton Football Club. Adapts to roles throughout the game. So he can play his own game, and then the message will come out, slide on to Bontempelli, and he does a very effective game, uh, role there. They've got a tougher edge about them under Michael Voss. I think that's pretty apparent already, isn't it? And one, uh, you can see it out there, but one way of measuring that, and uh, it's it's been a big factor in both those wins so far, I reckon, is their forward pressure. And uh, I wrote down at half time the tackles inside 50 at half time, it was 8-1 to Carlton. But, you know, the guys helping drive that are blokes we haven't heard a lot about, and Carlton fans are on to them, but I'm not sure the wider footy world is. And we're talking about the likes there of Owies and Durden. Um, these guys are really making a difference and really helping lock the ball in that uh, inside 50. And then just to have Kerno and Mackay operating together, wow, it just puts a different perspective altogether on the potency of that forward setup for them. I think the... Um... You know, you can wind the clock back several years now. You know, you're saying unknowns. Well, probably are at the moment. We're getting to know them. But the same things were said in Richmond's first premiership. You know, the likes of Castagna and Baker. Yeah. You know, at this stage of the year when Richmond won that premiership, we hadn't heard of them. It's it's nearly a compulsory phase, or I think it's a, a compulsory component of the game. Mm. Absolutely. Because of... What happens, folks, if you're tackling, even if you get a ball up, the bonus is if you get a free kick, you buy time. Time spent inside 50 allows the back line to organise and the midfields to set up. So it's harder to get the ball out. But if you're like some other clubs, like Carlton were last year, like Essendon are or were, the ball goes straight in, rolling and comes straight out. And then you're easy to score against you can't defend transition. So they're the two things Voss has worked down. Defence behind the ball and pressure inside 50. It's it, it's not rocket science. No. It's not hard to do. The other thing I want to ask you about with them, which appears to have changed a bit to me, and I, I haven't researched numbers thoroughly yet, and it is only two games, but handball. I noticed, I, I did look at last year's rankings for handball. The Bulldogs were second in the comp. 
Carlton were only 16th. Thursday night, the handball um, numbers were 164 for the Doggies, 188 for Carlton. So it's not often sides that end up having more handballs than the Bulldogs, but I just feel like Carlton are using that link-up handball to come through the middle of the ground really effectively. The other thing about that is we've talked about Carlton's skill level a bit and deficiencies perhaps in their use by foot. If you linking up by a hand, there's less margin for error with a handball than a kick, isn't there? So I wonder if that's a big bit of a factor in the improvement as well. Well, their quick hands, as you said, coming through the middle of ground was first class. They were quick, they were decisive, and it was exciting. And, mate, when you're kicking to two blokes, get use it quickly and get it in. So they've also improved their efficiency rating because they happen to be kicking to blokes that can really play and are big, strong forwards. Uh, the other stat they'd be pretty happy with too, 38 uh, more contested possessions in the Bulldogs, also had 29 more uncontested possessions. So, uh, look, they, they dominated statistically in, in a lot of categories. However, the Bulldogs, certainly not without their chances. And, uh, you know, gee, it's hard to analyse for too long poor conversion, isn't it? Because there's not too many ways to explain it. you just got to take your opportunities and 2-7 to uh, 2-1 in the last quarter, they blew it. I mean, it's a game they didn't necessarily deserve to win, but it's a game they probably just about should have won. So, look, overall, I'm, I'm not panicking about the Bulldogs yet. They were my premiership tip. I think they've, uh, they weren't far off the mark against Melbourne and they probably weren't far off the mark against what could be a pretty improved team. Are you worried about the Doggies yet, Rob? Not really. I think they've run into, obviously, a very good team in the Melbourne Football Club and a red-hot Carlton that's got everything going for them and it hasn't been a really big margin in any game. OK, they need a uh, they need some really strong help for Alex Keith. You know, he's up there against Mackay and Kerno and these sort of blokes. They'd love a big, strong key defender and they'd also like to get... Um, Josh Bruce back into that forward line because if Norton doesn't have a big day, they really struggle on the scoreboard. And McGovern, I thought, was terrific on the weekend. Uh, well, whenever they played Thursday night. Thursday night, yeah, it goes quick, doesn't it? They. Uh, uh, well, we still live in the eight. Uh, don't we still live in the six games on a Saturday afternoon, Rock? <laughs> round the grounds at two ten. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Maury Considine at Geelong come in. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, not panic stations yet for the doggies, but need a win sooner than later. And uh, great start to Michael Voss's coaching tenure at Carlton. That was Thursday evening. Rowan, can I yeah. just in, uh, just add another minute to that's, the that's very That's very Mark Fine of you. Yeah, go on. Is it really? Yeah, yeah I didn't go know on. that. <laughs> go on. I think there's a big game between um, next week. There's a big game between... Um, the Western Bulldogs in Sydney. Yeah. But two teams have match of the day status next week. Carlton and Hawthorne. Yes. Hawthorne have been in the bottom five the last yeah. two years. And Carlton, well, we're, we're searching through the records. Yes. Are they, are they a legit, legitimate match of, the, match of the day? Oh, I think so. And uh, good to see, too. It's like back to the late 1980s with that one, isn't it? So, Mate, uh, the AFL must have been really confident because they fixed it them for 110 on a Sunday. I just want to see, uh, <laughs> da- I want to see David Rhys-Jones lining up on Gary Ayres on a wing. All right. Um, 
all right, enough of that game. That was the Thursday evening. Uh, let's talk about Friday evening and uh, that man, Buddy Franklin. Well, this was one of those games where uh, a looming milestone uh, was all, well, it was bigger than the actual result. Uh, that's certainly how it panned out. Uh, we're not going to ignore the result because it was fairly significant. But uh, the most significant thing here, Lance, Buddy Franklin becoming just the sixth man to reach the 1,000 goal milestone in what was a very impressive 30-point win for Sydney over Geelong at the SCG. The final score, 17-5. Great kicking again, 107. Defeating the Cats, 10-17. There's the contrast. 77 goal kickers for the Swans, five to Heaney, four to Franklin, three to Hayward, two to Golden, singles the rest. And for the Cats, four to Brad Close, impressive, but a bit of a lone hand up forward, singles to the rest. Well, Rob, the Swans always comfortably ahead, four goals to two in the opening term. Biggest quarter for them was uh, the second seven goal, uh, seven goal straight, as a matter of fact. In that quarter, um, ironically, Buddy didn't contribute in any way to that seven-goal burst. Another four in the third term and then two in the last. Uh, bizarre scenes. Well, not bizarre. We, we knew it was going to happen, but uh, I think it was a 36-minute break after the ground was, uh, while the ground was being cleared after Franklin kicked his 1,000th goal for the last five or so minutes of this match to be Played out uh, just to the record books. Six men now to have kicked more than a thousand goals. Tony Lockett, one thousand three hundred and sixty. Gordon Coventry, one thousand two hundred and ninety-nine. Jason Dunstall, one thousand two hundred and fifty-four. Doug Wade, one thousand and fifty-seven. And Gary Abbott Senior, one thousand and thirty-one. They were great scenes, Rob. Uh, uh, we had there are a lot of stories being told already about various elements of the crowd invasion. The guy that ran into Zach too, he dropped his wallet and keys and had Zach pick them up and chase them back and give them to him. Uh, the guy that marked the ball and uh, now has been tracked down and he will be returning the ball. So uh, Buddy has that piece of memorabilia as he should. Um, just great scenes. It's great to watch a bit of a return to the old days, I guess the crowd coming on the ground, but it was all, it was all handled pretty well, um, I think. And, uh, well, first of all, let's get your thoughts on the significance of that achievement. And you can't overstate it, really, given that we're uh, very, very unlikely, I think, to ever see um, someone kick a 1,000 goals again. Unless the Carlton boy plays for 17 years, Mackay. <laughs> yeah. Because if he keeps going around the three to four mark... With about five rounds to go, Rowan, he's going to be up around 70, 80 and give it a real touch-up, particularly if they get to... But, um, oh, absolutely significant. You know, um, the bloke that stands out to me actually doesn't stand out. We see Ablett, we see Lockett, we see Dunstall. Gee, Doug Wade must have been a great player. I know we're in our youth, but he he, he, he sort of slotted in behind Hutto. He slotted in behind Jezza. He slotted in behind McKenna. Doug Wade was, it, it, it just doesn't have this, sadly, because I think he's a superstar, does it have the same ring as Ablett Senior, Lockett, Franklin? It doesn't, does it? But no, Doug, no, Doug no, Wade yeah. is, folks, Doug Wade was as good as anyone. 
in you his know, role as a full forward. It's a good point. I mean, a point I always make about Jason Dunstall is that, you know, if you are as he was, if you're lining Dunstall up against Lockett and Gary Ablett Sr. for spectacularness, he'd come a very long last, wouldn't he? But uh, just incredibly efficient, incredibly consistent, metronomic almost, the lead mark and the body strength and uh, all obviously fantastic players. But that's the thing about Buddy, isn't it? The fact that he has done so much of it in an era where the sort of goal tallies we saw kick back then just aren't feasible. I mean, just to give you an example, uh, 1993, three blokes kicked about 130 goals each. You know, it's like a, it's like another universe, Rob, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, we, oh, we've yeah. seen Buddy's the only guy to kick 100 goals in the last, um, we've got to go back to, I think, 2004 with Gehrig. So in the last, uh, what, 16, uh, 17, 18 seasons, one man has topped 100 goals, and that was Buddy. And even that was 14 years ago. So... Um, to a great, great occasion, great occasion, well and, deserved, and and with a, a skill set that isn't a traditional goal kicking skill set, is it? Like he's not a he's not a great mark, he's not a great pie mark. He it's all athleticism and that incredible kicking of his. He, he, he doesn't. I was going to say lumber, but we know how quick Tony Lockett was. He doesn't lead straight up the ground like Plugger did, does he? He does hasn't got this explosive lead. Um, on the end of Jarman, Platten and Pritchard like Dunsell has. Yeah, he, he's different. He could play. Well, he did play wing, didn't he? He played a lot on the wing. Yeah. I mean, the longevity too, you know, the fact that, mm. uh, I mean, this is now what is uh, 18th season, I think. You know, it's... 18, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think all oh, 05 debut. Does that make it? Uh, I think that does make it 18 seasons. Incredible. Anyway, let's talk about the game right. be, because... Yes. Um, we're both red hot on Sydney. Now, I, you know, famously or infamously pumped them up last year and tipped them to make the finals. And you reckon they're top four material. I, I agree entirely with you. Nothing I've seen so far this year makes me think otherwise. They're quick. Their experienced players are incredibly durable. They're potent. What about a side that always struggled to kick goals? They were the fourth highest scoring team in the league last year. I reckon they look even more potent this year with the likes of um, McDonald up there now and McLean up there. There's a few key position options. They're medium-sized players, kick goals. Isaac Heaney, is he looking like turning into an, a bona fide superstar? He is going to another level, I think. It's just all um, – their development is just so on track and they're so exciting, Rob. I love watching him play footy. There's five or six points you say. Let's touch on development, right? The following blokes are under 22, Rowan. Warner, Goulden, Blakey, Stevens, Rowbottom, Campbell, Wicks, McDonald and Sheldrick. And even though our listeners are absolutely spot on and avid listeners and watchers of football, tell, tell me about some of those blokes. And I don't want to embarrass you. That That's development right there. Half their side under 22. They went down to 16. And instead of saying, come on a journey with us or we're in development mode, um, it's going to be exciting. No, they went straight back, straight back. And, and like, I don't muck around up there, do they? It was quick. And, and I, I always talk about this. The, there was a game they won against Melbourne in Cairns, I think, or was it Townsville? It was an odd location late in 2020. 
in that season when they won only five games. And and McInerney starred. I think Warner might have starred. Wicks looked good. And I just looked at him and I thought, geez, I, there's something about this side. I reckon they're coming fast. And they, you know, sort of showed that last year. And and I reckon that the path continues. And they are a seriously good side. And they were too quick for Geelong. And this is where Geelong, and we should talk about the Cats too. We know that they've got issues with their age and whatever, but this is where they're going to get found out by these younger, zippier sides that have more potency up forward. And I thought the Cats looked pretty pedestrian alongside them. Mate, Geelong, I'll tell you about Geelong. Geelong had 20 more inside 50s on a small ground. Wow. And they won the centre clearances 18 to 11 Mm. on a small ground. So that tells me behind the ball, the back line, pretty well organised. They held Hawkins to one goal too. Stengel got a point after dominating the week before. You and I spoke about this game as a real worry for Geelong because oh, I'm, I'm not being disrespectful. Ge- Geelong played witch's hats last week, mm. right, where Sydney played a vigorous, tough game again. It holds in good stead, Rowan. Yeah. And, of course... They pay respect to the opposition. Is Mills one of their co-captains? Yes, or... he is. Yep. So they send their co-captain to Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. Dangerfield has 39 against Essendon. He has 10 kicks and three handballs because Mills is accountable for him. Mm. Great lesson there. Yeah, they've got I mean, they, they do the defensive stuff well. They've got a lot more attacking zest about their game now than we're, we're familiar with the Swans having. They've got the the, the young emerging talent covered. Uh, they're better up forward. Their defence is solid. I, I don't reckon they lack for much at all. They've got two lockdown defenders, right? And then they've invented this role, and it's not in Gibson played it, Ridley played it, the intercept third tall. Mm. Welcome back, Paddy Car- McCartan. Mm. Nine intercept marks. He was superb in that first quarter. Yeah, he's, he's shaping as a, a massive pickup for him. Really good, good call. And uh, yeah, something I think uh, we, we need to pay uh, due kudos to. All right, great win for Sydney again. They have certainly started this new season in fine style. That's Thursday and Friday evening covered off. Let's go to the weekend. The first game on the Saturday schedule was at the MCG, Saturday afternoon between Collingwood and Adelaide. And it produced a very comfortable 42-point win to the Magpies, who are now two and zip under new coach Craig McRae. The final scores, 15-10, 100, the Magpies, and Adelaide, 8-10-58, also produced... Gee, we've had some wild, wacky, wonderful things going on in footy the last few years. Uh, the night after you had the entire crowd uh, trying to <laughs> run onto a ground, uh, Saturday you had a entire crowd ordered to leave the ground when <laughs> at the start of the second quarter of this game, the uh, fire alarm started ringing at the MCG and um, the whole crowd, including players, obviously, were told to evacuate. Now, but they were saying it was a false alarm. It wasn't really a false alarm because there was actually a an incident involving a fast food outlet up on the fourth floor, I think, of the, not sure, Ponsard Sand maybe, but um, a sprinkler system was set off by, a, uh, I think, a build-up of steam or 
blah, blah, blah. And there was water problems. Anyway, uh, they, they, uh, safety had to come first. So it was inconvenient and it didn't last long, but there was an evacuation early in the second quarter. Uh, did it upset Adelaide? Well, no, you can't even argue that because they already had their backs to the wall uh, down by four goals at the quarter time break. Impressive win by uh, the Magpies. Let's run through the goal kickers. Two each to McCreary, Henry and Kruger. That man's going to become a cult figure very quickly. Singles the rest and all singles for the Crows. Um the veterans, really good for the Pies, I thought, in this one. Rob, uh, Jack Crisp, really impressive. Pendlebury, uh, back to a bit of the the old style. Scott Pendlebury, Dugowie, impressive. Um, they've got some young guns looking good up forward too. McCreary. Henry, Ginovan. Yeah, yeah, terrific. Yeah. Kruger. And have you noticed with them that none of them are um, – and Nathan Buckley observed this himself, McCreary. Like, he's a bit scruffy looking, isn't he? And uh, – Kruger, yeah, well, the name's a bit shabby, isn't it? Like it's out of a horror movie. <laughs> what are you saying? Well, I know. Oh, they, they, oh, they call him Freddy. They don't they, they don't look immaculately groomed, you know, but they, they're pretty effective and a bit of excitement. Look, Collingwood had to do something about its potency because they really lacked on that front. But uh, one thing that really is noticeable with them, I, I think you'd agree, is uh, the, the brand of footy they're playing. They're really trying to move the ball on quickly, and, and through the corridor, and uh, it's working for them. Well, and and to to verify that uh, is that they only went inside 50, 54 times, but in doing that, they had 29 shots. They're prepared to have a ping. Yeah. They're prepared wow, to that's, take so the that's, ga- that's better yeah. than 50%, isn't it? They're prepared to take the game on. Whereas Adel- and and they only had two, they only had seventy-two marks to one hundred and two marks. Adelaide was slow, precise, build up, maintain possession, and had one hundred and two possession marks. If you know what I mean. Mm. But the, Collingwood only had seventy-two marks, so that shows me, you know, efficiency, get it going, move it on. Um, that that's a significant. I know it sounds really. It is easy to analyse because you look at it with your eyes and then you go back to the stat sheet and think, you know what, that, that's absolutely spot on. You know, they've got the additions of Lipinski. They gave away pick 43 for him. Wasn't going to get a game in the deep Bulldogs. Uh, Dacos, the Dacos matchups together, the, the, the boys there are playing well. Um, and for Adelaide, well, um, Keys. He's a good player. Mm. He's a good, strong AFL midfielder. Smith is returning to some of his better form off the halfback flank. Uh, you know, those three dominated possession. Got Matt, the, Matt Crouch back as well. Yeah, Matt Crouch. They, uh, but it's the sharing of the load. Mm. If you look at these teams that have got out of the blocks early, and and the Richmond game today was staggering evidence of this. Have a look at the sharing of the load. Um, it, it it really stands out. It's a seven-goal win. It was slow ball movement, Adelaide, versus precise, quick, inside 50s, efficient ball movement by Collingwood. So there's another preseason where we've seen a club actually turn their style around. Well, just a question on Adelaide and that that brand that they are playing under Matthew Nix. Now they've made obvious gains in in the two seasons under him so far, but 
there's still a lot of pretty raw young players in that lineup. Are they putting themselves under too much pressure by trying to play that possession game? Because you know, you've got to be patient and your skills have got to be spot on. And there's not a lot of experience in there. So you don't actually freeze, but you, you play you play it safe. They've got a, a hell of a lot of young players in there. Surprisingly, they left out our mate, uh, a key forward. I would have thought they would have kept, you can say his name, Rowan. We have trouble with it. Phil, Phil Oh, Phil yeah. Yeah, they left him out. They omitted him. And with Walker out, uh, it, it didn't give him a chance to really go quick, long and direct. Mm. No, fair observation. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a, you can see the development coming with the Crows, but it's, it's slow-ish, isn't it? I mean, they won seven last year. Can they build on that this year? I don't know. I'm, I, there's still a lot of players on that side I really don't know about. And well, I don't did, know. We, did we think they could get out of that bottom four? We actually gave them a chance, didn't we? Yeah. Is seven wins going to do that? Uh, potentially, yeah, potentially, but unlikely, I would think. Anyway, no doubt about Collingwood having got off to a good start. And, uh, well, already there's one tip I made this year that uh, is starting to look a bit sick. I'm not even going to repeat where I had Collingwood finishing. No, don't. Let's let's say. Hey, 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 mate, your bookends, your bookends are just a bit wobbly. Can we yeah. say that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's a very good point. All right. So good win to the Pies over Adelaide. Uh, let's head down to the other end of the Melbourne CBD for what was the Saturday Twilight fixture. Well, two out of two for Brisbane, zero out of two for Essendon is the upshot out of those two teams clashing at Marvel Stadium, Saturday Twilight. Brisbane winning this one by 22 points. The final scores, 15-7, 97, defeating Essendon, 10-15, 75. Are we seeing a recurring theme here in this round, Rob? I reckon we are, and it's all about conversion because Essendon certainly didn't make enough of their early dominance, and Brisbane kept themselves in it with accuracy and then got on top. Let's have a look at the goal kickers for Lions. Three to McLuggage, two to Bailey, two to Cameron, two to Danaher, and two to Lockie Neal, who was in outstanding touch the man who dragged the lines over the line for mine. And for Essendon, three to Archie Perkins, three to Peter Wright on fire early, but subdued later on. Singles, the rest. Well, better performance by the Bombers this week, uh, Rob, but still not good enough to get the points against a bona fide top four team. And listen, let's start by talking about the victors because this was a good win by Lions. They're under the pump early. They're about four goals down and probably should have been a bit more, but they just kept plugging away. The midfield came good. Lockie Neal at the forefront of that. McLuggage, very good for him in there as well. Lions, solid as ever. Adams brought Peter Wright under control and Daniel Rich offering plenty of drive off halfback as well. And in the end, better skills, I think better nous, um, and they took their opportunities, fully deserved what was a pretty important win for them. They just had the capacity to lift, which you expect. I think um, uh, like they were, they were decimated in the first quarter by a very good start by Essendon. 
They were down 14 in the contest. They were down 10 in... This is the first quarter, folks. This is not the sum total of a game. They were down plus 10 in clearances. They were down 14 inside 50s. But you talked about waste. They were only down 22 points. Generally, that would equate to a seven or eight goal first quarter. Essendon did have nine scoring shots to two for a 22-point lead. But at no stage did Brisbane... No, did no stage Essendon... Um, have have the nous, as you said, and the experience to really go away with it. Um, Brisbane kept them in themselves in the game through that experience. They made some good moves. They looked, they assessed at half time, and it was very well covered on television today. So um, the vision that was shown on one of the football shows by Matthew Lloyd showed the move of the day by Chris Fagan, uh, Merritt running wild. He had something like 27 first, 24 first half possessions. So it was a subtle tag. It wasn't a full-on tag, but Fagan had the capacity to change the game halfway for, through. He put Jared Berry on the Merritt, and in the second half, Merritt only had 10 possessions. Well, time where you bring that name up, because I was going to say, uh, in terms of consequences, it's almost the news after this game that is a more consequence for Essendon than the result. And that is, uh, unfortunately, Zach Merritt will be out for at least six weeks, we think, potentially eight weeks, uh, requires ankle surgery after uh, what turned out to be quite a serious ankle injury pretty late in this game. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm, without having seen the replay, I was there, but I'm struggling to remember exactly when this happened. It was pretty late in the piece, though, but that is... A shocking result for the Bombers. Uh, certainly going to test their alleged newfound midfield depth, isn't it? Oh, well, it is. And he's already on the phone to Sam Walsh. To find out how to expedite his return. Instead of six to eight, he's going to turn it into three, <laughs> like Sam Walsh did. So, did Sam Walsh, um, our, our listeners will know, did, did he have an operation or did he yeah. just... No, I think he, he had did. surgery. He did have surgery. So, syndemosis must be a surgery. You don't mm. just rest it, do you? So um, I don't know. Oh, but that, where, that... where, where syndesmosis come from? I dead set had not heard that word about three years ago. And then now it's it's the... Um... What do we have in my day, Ron? What uh, do we have? Well, there were stress fractures and the, they the were Old ankle. And then a few years ago, it was the... Um, what was the groin one? Um, Osteo... Osteo... Uh, osteitis pubis. pubis. Osteo, yeah. yeah. See, that's gone now. I don't know what syndesmosis is taking. Anyway, we shouldn't laugh about it because it's no. a pretty serious injury. And I'll tell you what, Essendon was always going to have be up against it with the, the start to the year. Got Melbourne next week. Uh, but now without Zach Merritt, geez, it's, um, has, it's been a shocking start to their season. Different sort of replacement because they'll get, um, they'll get Dylan Shield back into the side. But whether he is the... Uh, high pressure, high intensity running uh, ball user that Zach Merritt is. I'm unsure about that. But as far as numbers in the midfield go, uh, they can even it out next week. But the bonus would have been Shield to come back with Merritt still into the side. Uh, they they did a lot better in their matchups. They went. They did some good homework. Kelly went from playing on a tall to playing on Cameron. Did a good job. Ridley went back to his best and fairest position as the third tall and played well. And Laverde, 
and the Danaher Laverde duel was very good. So um, I don't know why they wait till round two to put players in their natural and best position. So um, they were superb. Yes, they were unlucky. They could have gone to five goals. Was it Cox that missed the goal? Would have put them five goals up. Um, Brisbane, 47 goal turnaround. So Brisbane still had the capacity to get back into the game. And um, in in the second half, Essendon's efficiency just dropped off as they got tired. Early, they were 68% efficiency when they were on fire. And as Brisbane clawed them back in, they went back to 50%. So, well, you know, some of, of some of the decision-making just had to be seen to be believed. I mean, one that stood out for me was uh, Tom Cutler marking, I think, 40 metres out. Um, you know, virtually straight in front to, for some inexplicable reason, tries to pass off, turns it over. And, and he's the, in the side for his kicking run. He's and, a magnificent and, long kick. And the James Stewart one, well, well, who knows what was going on there. But, I mean, you know, like that's, I don't know, I'd love to hear his explanation about it, but he clearly thought he had that ball covered and he didn't. And it cost him a goal at what was, frankly, a critical stage of the game. You, you just can't do things like that. If you're an aspiring a side aspiring to be a top side, you got to tick all the boxes, Rob. And that means conversion. And it means not butchering the ball when the pressure goes on and fatigue kicks in a bit. And it means just making more of the right decisions. And Brisbane, to their credit, are a side that now does that far more often than not. And Essendon still isn't. No, that's the point. Look, mate, the, the papers from tomorrow are going to run with it all the time. I suppose it's our job to do it a little bit, but... Um, you know, I've given you the Berry Merritt example. Essendon's next step, I'm telling you now, and I've been on it for years and years. It's only because that's the way I was brought up. And I'll give you an insight. Kevin Sheedy, and, it, you know, Sheedy and I, we're gone. We just, right, we're, it's, we've had our day. But he always said, even with that great side, those great sides he has, always take away what the opposition want. So Sheets would plan 20% on the opposition, 80% our game. Mm. So I haven't got advice for Ben Rutten. But if you let these blokes, Dangerfield 39, decimated us. The next week, Mills does him, right? Mm. This week, 41 possessions, 2.2 goals. Mate, there couldn't have been anyone near him, Rowan. He went at 80% efficiency, 80%. All you have to do is say to McGrath after halftime, we've got a problem here. I'd just like you to move across to him and just keep an eye on him. Stop his efficiency. Uh, I, yeah. I, don't I don't understand that part of the game. People say tags are gone. I didn't say the word tag once. Yeah. Just Accountability. Accountability. I'll look after him for a while. I'll just close him down a little bit. Yeah. No, look, I've, I think, you know, defensive-minded midfields are sort of not – particularly fashionable now, are they? But if, if someone is doing that much damage, you have to do something about it. And uh, he certainly was the difference in that game. Anyway, really good win to Brisbane on the road. And uh, they're the sort of victories that are going to stand them in pretty good stead. Essendon up against it already. All right, two Saturday night games. Let's have a chat about them. Saturday night at Adelaide Oval and uh, the wash-up of this game was a very one-sided affair, which a lot of people might have predicted, but uh, just not the team that uh, won being on the winning end. Uh, 
Credit where it's due, though. Robert Shaw, he did tip Hawthorne for this game, and they were superb in dismantling a very disappointing Port Adelaide by 66 points. Uh, actually, that's not 66 points. My maths is terrible. It is 64 points. The final scores, 19 goals, 6, 120. Accuracy again, defeating Port Adelaide, 7-14. Inaccuracy, 56 points. The goals for the Hawks, 5 to Mitch Lewis. Could be his coming-of-age game. This really impressive. 3 to Jack Gunston. What a great football he is. I tweeted this last week in their win over North. He's just such a smart, consistent, solid footballer. 3 to Luke Bruce. Two to Moore, two to Wingard. Singles, the rest. The only multiple goal kicker for Port Adelaide, Sam Powell Pepper with three. Well, from go to woe, the Hawks just dominated this, Rob. Three goals to zip in the first quarter, eight to three at halftime, 14 to seven at three-quarter time, all over she wrote. The remarkable thing, though, here, and I'll get you to comment about it, is the statistical discrepancy. Port had... The four top ball winners on the ground, Boak with 39, Amon 39, Wines 36, Butters 29. At half time, Port had had 73 more disposals, three more inside 50s. They led the clearances by nine, the contested ball by 14. The uncontested possessions at half time, they led by 61. And yet at that moment in the game, they were already five goals down. That rings serious alarm bells, but it's also a tribute, isn't it, to Hawthorne's efficiency? Well, it is. I, I just had a, a nearly a pregnant pause there because I just took a deep breath because um, usually we not do that. I'm going to say something. Mate, they're, they're super coach points, Rowan. Mm, they're yeah. very important. Yeah. Aren't they? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. But they're racking up super coach points. They're a super coach team. Port Adelaide. And, and yeah, and I'm serious. They're a super coach team. They, they those points are astonishing, right? But the key is to this game, and this is Hawthorne coming off bottom five finishes, right? New coach always has an impact. Unless it's me going to Adelaide. But generally <laughs> generally, right? I'll just give you a couple of little stats. They cleared or rebounded. You know, you're saying everyone got, oh, a lot of ball, a lot of ball, inside 50, yeah, keep going. Pump. They cleared or rebounded out of defence 49 times. So it went in, came straight out. Mm. And with this young, quick, agile back line, Scrimshaw, Hardwick, um, uh, Cicely, Jath, Morrison, gee, number one just kept taking my eye. Harry Morrison. Yeah, yeah. A terrific young player. They scored nine goals, one, 55, from rebound out of the defence. So there was no defence from Port Adelaide. None at all. Yeah. Port Adelaide, on the other hand, scored two behinds. So not only do they not defend their front half and let Hawthorne run out efficiently into a forward line where the key forwards dominated, they, they couldn't even get the ball. Hawthorne defended so well. It was a perfect game from Hawthorne. A, a perfect game of the modern era. Rebound from defence, but also stop the opposition rebounding from their defence. 
I think people have really underestimated the quality of some of the younger players coming through. I mean, Jarth, we saw last year and clearly was super impressive. A couple of the other guys, you know, Granger Barras, people Granger have been talking Barash. about him for a while. But, you know, guys like, and he, he was, he did get some kudos for it. But Dylan Moore's improvement last year, I thought, was really notable. And he seems to have gone on with that. And I really like this kid, Newcomb. Um, you know, he in the he, middle, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, and and here's the thing, and maybe people overlooked it because there's two names we're familiar with, and it's pretty obvious, but you cannot underestimate uh, overestimate the difference that the returns of Gunston up one end and Sicily down the other end were going to make. They just shore up their whole forward line and their whole defense, that makes an enormous difference. They were two massive returns to Hawthorne, even not accounting for the improvement of the younger guys, don't you think? Yeah, and look, we're not being smart. We, we just didn't go along with the common theme that this is a bottom four team. And we did bank our hopes, Rowan, on Sicily and Gunston, and we haven't been let down. But we also thought that McAvoy, this young emerging runners, were, were just terrific. Two rounds in, they... The, the veterans are playing well, uh, uh, Bruce and Gunston. Lewis and, Lewis and Gunston's combination, Bruce got three. So they got, once again, a bit like Collingwood, they got this beautiful balance between the ageing veterans and the role they play and this excitement, pe young players that they're backing in mm. to, pl to play their brand. And they defend well and they attack well and they have a real crack in the midfield. It's really well, that, good. Well, that, I mean, that's a formula that we've seen succeed at various times in history, aren't you? And when you talked about that, the veterans and the excitement of the young guys, and, you know, we, we both you know, have vested interest in this, but I always think baby bombers. You know, you had that, that handful of veterans who were really good AFL players. They have good, consistent seasons, and then they come in and... and they lift the youth around them. They settle it down. And the youth then has the similar impact on the older players. We saw that happen with Essen 93. I'm not saying this Hawthorne side's going to score a surprise premiership win or anything, but I, I do think they're going to be a lot better than a lot of people thought. What um, is it with this other mob? Mate, that would look, you and I have followed football for 40 or 50 years, and there's no bigger name at Port Adelaide than the late, great, sadly, Russell Ebert. It was called the Russell Ebert Day, Rowan. Mm, for mm. goodness sake, don't go down by 11 goals. No, it's, it's well, it is. That's a really good point because, I mean, you can't. Escape. I know emotion doesn't carry the day all the time. Yeah. But is he, if he's not number one in the history of the Port Adelaide Football Club, you can throw up a couple of names to, to challenge him. But. Gee whiz. Well, when you when you combine that also with – so two of their last three games, they've been disgraceful. That game and the preliminary final last year. and That two, was 71 points. Yeah. Who beat them last week? Um, uh, Brisbane. Got, Brisbane up Look, there. Yeah, and they yeah. did they did cop some injuries last week, and I thought yeah. last week they weren't too bad. But this was – did they get carried along by the effort of last week and thought, yeah, it wasn't too bad given we had some injuries and whatever, we'll – We'll just turn it on this week. Yep. I mean, you, you wonder, don't you? And, um, you know, Ken Hinckley's an interesting one because he, he does get a lot of criticism from within. Um, I just I wonder, are they the sort of side who, if things continue to go badly for a few weeks, the bottom could fall out of their season? 
not the bottom, but I think, um, uh, look, you look at the preliminary final and then you look at this game, you're starting that ad up. Um, hang on, keep talking, Rowan, say something. I just want to see who they play next week, please. I'm just checking something. Yeah, well, Port, um, I mean, Port are a top four side for the last two years. and yeah, Oh, it's the showdown. Okay, now, well, that's not unimportant. That's not unimportant, and that's a must win. Yeah. That is a must win. It's Adelaide's home game, so um, there's some interesting games next week. Oh, look, I don't know what to make of them. They were exposed for pace. They were exposed for getting the ball out of their back line. They couldn't move it. They do have three or four significant injuries, but anyway. Well, they're certainly under the pump at the start of this season. All right, that was one of two Saturday evening games. The other one was up on the Gold Coast. Well, reigning Premier Melbourne uh, had to travel up to Metricon Stadium to play Gold Coast. They got the points, as you might expect, but they certainly had to fight pretty hard to come away with them. Just 13 points, the margin of victory in the finish. And uh, you think on one level of Suns, obviously you don't like uh, not winning, but they'd be pretty happy with their competitiveness in that game against the reigning Premier. The final scores, Melbourne. 12 10 82 by 13 points over the Suns 10 9 69. The goal kickers for the Demons two to Brown, two to Jackson, two to Pickett singles the rest. And for the Suns, two to Anderson, two to Casbolt, two to Lacocious singles the rest. Well, they just hung in there, the Suns, Robin. I think this is what I sort of liked about the performance. They didn't. You never really thought they were going to win, but um, there were times when you thought Melbourne was ready to roll over the top of them, and they never really allowed them to do that. They were three goals up at half time. It was three goals to two in that third term. Uh, the Demons, though, held goalless in the final quarter. Gold Coast continuing to push hard uh, and kicking the final goal of that game to reduce the margin in the end to just a tick over two goals. Look, Melbourne, you know, it's one of those wins. They'll take the points and move on and not make too much out of it. Usual suspects on fire, Petrarca. Uh, I think, what was it, 41 this time? But yeah. He was amazing. Jackson, wow, he's looming as one of the great contemporary ruckmen, I think, given a few years. Uh, Oliver, Neil Bullen, Max Gorn, um, Jake Bowie, uh, he's been a great pickup for them. He was impressive. Uh, but ditto the Suns. Took Miller. Gee, become a fantastic leader for them. Noah, Noah Anderson, very solid. Matt Rowell, back to that sort of form he was showing prior to injuries. Um, and Casbolt, um, giving a pretty good showing up forward. So competitive. And uh, I think the thing that come out of this to the Suns, Rob, is resilience. They appear to have found a bit now. Haven't got a win on the board yet this season, but uh, they certainly haven't been disgraced. Look, I was about to say it's the best performance I've seen them for years. It's probably not, but given the opposition, I, I, we spoke about this the uh, the um, on Wednesday morning, Rowan, where we, I just had a gut feeling that they were really looking forward to this. This is an opportunity to, not the line in the sand, but give our improvement a tick. Okay, Melbourne travelling. I I think when you're really good, um, 
And having been in that position with Essen many years ago, there are games you go to and you get back on the plane and say, geez, that was good. We've just beaten the bottom side by 15 points. We've got no injuries. We bank four points. We get back to Melbourne. We play on the MCG. We'll recover. You, you don't disrespect the opposition, but you just want to get home with the four points. And as good as Gold Coast was, um, that's a good win by Melbourne because, as we said, they threw everything at them. And, um, oh, look, oh, as I said, it was probably their best win for some time. They lost Rankin before the game, and that just upset them a bit. They've got Casbolt going okay. Lucasius went down there. But, Rowan, they had 60 entries against Melbourne. They had 60 entries against the grand finalists for only 10 goals. Their That's effort's it. there. Their ball winning is there. Okay, they've got to work on their precision, all that sort of thing, but they just haven't got a target that the, the likes of Melbourne have got. That was the the single stat I, I was going to focus on. I reckon, you know, if you can crack 60 inside 50s against Melbourne, and when we talk about Melbourne's defence, yeah, they're back six um, statistically, you know, fewest points conceded. We know how great May and Lever are as a combination, et cetera, et cetera. But their, uh, I guess their team defence prior to the ball getting in that inside 50 is a big part of it as well. And the Suns have been able to broach that and get, get uh, 60 inside 50s of their own. That is no mean feat. And also whilst being pretty well hammered for uh, a lot of other key stats too. I mean, the Demons had 122 more disposals. Um, they won the clearance count comfortably. They doubled the Suns for centre clearances. They had uh, 23 more contested possessions. They had nearly 100 more uncontested possessions. And yet the Suns have hung in there, managed to get enough opportunities of their own and lost this game by 13 points. So right down, in, that's that's right. That's four quarters of footy yeah. uh, being dominated and not having a forward line. I think you've summed it up. Let's let's keep watching this mob because uh, you summed it up, the word you use, resilient, and that's not a word we've been able to use with Gold Coast for a long time. Good and, on them. Well led by Took Miller. 17 possessions in the first quarter. He's a ripper. Yeah. Uh, he's he, outstanding last year and he just looks like he's going from – Strength to strength, doesn't he? And uh, look, like you said, this will be the sort of game Melbourne will bank the four points, think uh, they've done what they set out to do. Let's not pay it too much more thought. Let's move on and uh, get to play an Essendon under the pump next week. So uh, reasonable start to the premiership defence of the Demons. As you say, we want to see the Suns winning games, but almost more important than the numbers of wins is that they don't get blown away and aren't looking uncompetitive. And that certainly hasn't been the case with them the first two games of this season. So good effort by the Suns, even in defeat. Melbourne, two out of two. Uh, that's pretty much what you want at the start of any premiership defence. And uh, that's what they've delivered so far. The Demons, having hit that sweet spot and broken that 57-year premiership drought, well, it looks like the good time's set to roll on for a fair while yet for... Melbourne and uh, good on them for their long-suffering fans and uh, people connected with that club who uh, have been through decades of pretty poor, um, poor fortune and poor performance and uh, certainly getting it back in spades, uh, being repaid for that dedication now. 
So, 13-point win to Melbourne. That saw out the Saturday games. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. First game on the Sunday schedule was at Marvel Stadium. It saw North Melbourne taking on, uh, well, I was going to say injury struck, but um, COVID protocol struck West Coast would be a more accurate description. Few sides in the history of the game have been knocked about uh, with unavailability to the extent that the Eagles were no this one. week. No one. No one. Okay, let's say no one. To the extent that 14 changes had to be made from last week's selected side to this week. And uh, the good fortune or the bad fortune kept coming right up until uh, the first siren. And we saw that when Jackson Nelson was uh, hurt himself in the warm-up and had to be replaced by Declan Mountford, formerly of North Melbourne, who uh, Matt- this this was so late, Rob, <laughs> that Dermot Brereton was coming upstairs uh, out of, uh, from doing a bit on the ground, back up to the commentary box, and shared a lift with young Mr Mountford, who was on his way to the rooms to get changed after the game had already started. That's how late it was. Yeah, it doesn't... Uh, look... Uh- Nothing to get carried away by North Melbourne's performance here. Nick Larky kicked six goals. There was no Barras. Um, Actually, just take... hold it hold it there because I will go through the scores. I neglected to do that. Oh, fairly, yeah, okay. Fairly yeah. important. So, so, North Melbourne, uh, in the end, triumphing. Well, not triumphing, winning by just 15 points. I don't know if Coach David Noble would have been too happy with this, though. They did get the points, so 10 goals, 14-74, defeating... Uh, a gallant in the circumstances, West Coast, 8-11, 59. The goal kickers, 6 to Nick Larky. He was definitely dominant up forward. 2 to Turner and singles the other two. And for the Eagles, 4 to Willie Rioli. Some would argue lucky to even be playing after the overturning of that uh, suspension from last week. He was the only multiple goal kicker for the Eagles. But credit where it's due, Rob. They really hung in there and this is a game people thought they might have been absolutely taken apart playing inexperienced players, playing top-ups. I think there were six guys playing their first game for the Eagles. They had uh, Adam Simpson doing the jumper presentations and there were more players on the inside of the circle than the outside. Three debutants. Uh, they had players, I was surprised some of the players weren't wearing name tags. They were so unfamiliar with each other, but they just kept hanging in there. And every time it looked like North were going to make a break and uh, go on to a convincing win, the Eagles kept finding something, even a sneaky chance to win. Uh, I guess a morale-sapping moment where Jack Darling got uh, a very kickable goal attempt and for some reason decided to snap around the corner rather than just kick straight. Missed. Yeah, well, they were a real chance. And oh, um, well, like, you know. I'm not sure whether... like. I listened to David Noble's press conference. You know, he's celebrating a return to Marvel Stadium for the supporters. There, there was a lot of spin and a lot of um, a, a, a lot of chat about unnecessary. He'd be he'd be delighted with four points. Four points is hard to get these days. But I tell you what, full marks to to the West Coast Eagles to the coaching panel to be able to assemble that group. And when I'm not being smart or anything, but mate. He had their jumpers on coat hangers there with that many of them. 
Did you see the footage? He's yeah. taking their jumpers off coat hangers. Yeah. Like usually if you're presenting one jumper or the Australian cap, you're just holding on to it. That many bloke, you said, <laughs> look, North got four points, Lucky kicked six goals, um, and, and they've got a horror month coming up. So enjoy your four points. Um, enjoy going, having a win at Marvel Stadium. Uh, they didn't do a lot for me, North, in the way of making progress against a very dogged and ridiculously undermanned AFL team. Well, some injury uh, concerns too. I think Taron Thomas um, uh, copped a, a rib injury, which might be of some concern, and uh, not the only one. I think there. Oh, that's right. Luke Davies Uniac uh, concussed. Uh, by a tackle from Willie Rioli. He's out. He's going straight into the the concussion protocols and 12 yeah, okay. days Ron. All right. So yeah. uh, not a player they can afford to lose. And I'd suggest uh, Thomas, you'd think, pretty unlikely to play next week as well. So it's going to be tough for them. Let's talk quickly about the Eagles because their poor fortune no show, shows no sign of uh, turning around. Um, terrible off-season in terms of injuries. Uh, now the COVID curse has struck. Uh, a lot of people obviously tipping them to be on the slide anyway. And yet this was a performance which suggested the morale, if nothing else, the morale around the place is still pretty good. Oh, well, they're, they're, they've got a lot of pride. What 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 stood out for me was the pride in, in getting an opportunity. If, if that was you or me or a mate of ours and you get a phone call, you're playing for the West Coast Eagles, we're going to Melbourne, you play for East Perth or Peel Thunder, you're in our top-up list, you're going to get a game. Mate, they're so excited, they get a sec. some of these blokes get a second opportunity and some of them get selected when they're coming down a lift. So you don't think they're going to be hungry, united, but they haven't played together. There's a fitness issue. I think, um, what was it? Uh, how many points? 15 points. I think it was a superb effort and, uh, uh, and North will have to take stock on that performance. All right. So North Melbourne getting the win, uh, if not necessarily that impressively. West Coast, uh, well, still uh, in a world of pain, but um, couldn't really um, decry their effort. No question about that. All right, let's move to the other end of Melbourne for what was the Sunday afternoon game between Richmond and Greater Western Sydney. The eighth game of round two was at the MCG. It was a rematch of the 2019 grand final and uh, it had a similar result, if not the crushing margin of that game. Comfortable margin, though. 36 points in the finish to the Tigers. Very impressive, the Tigers, given the injury catalogue, which we'll talk about in a sec. But final score, 16-13-109, defeating GWS 10-13-73. The goals, four to Noah Bolter, looking pretty ominous, I reckon, as a key forward. Three to Lynch, two to Bolton, two to Soldo, singles the rest for the Giants. Two to Coniglio, two to Himmelberg, two to Taranto, two to Kelly, and singles the rest. Richmond, well, I've uh, had a lot of faith in the Tigers, Rob. I thought they'd win this game even without 
what was a considerable absentee list that comprising Dustin Martin, Jack Rewalt, new co-skipper uh, Dylan Grimes, Kane Lambert and Nick Vloston. They are significant outs, but the Tigers doing the job, well, with uh, some ease in the finish. They were very impressive this afternoon. What did you make of them? Did you tip Richmond? I did. And with great apologies, I didn't. Tiger people, Grimes, Martin, Prestia, Rewalt, Lambert, Floston against a side that was oh, very, go. very good. I forgot Prestia, yeah. yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. Very, very good against Sydney. I thought their midfield would swamp them. But I tell you what, the interesting stat that came out of this, and you've spoken about Bolter and the Lynch combination. Um, I think there's some emerging, can we use the word superstar? I'm not sure. We know what Jackson's going to be at Melbourne. Um, Bolter could right. be an emerging superstar at either end of the ground and in the ruck. So I'm not sure if Richmond know, and I'm saying this, this is a term of, in, a phrase of endearment. I don't know if Richmond know where he's going to play next week. Hmm. They look at the team and say, I think they might be down in a bit of height. Let's push him forward, even though they lost Grimes. He was awesome. Or another point I'd like to make is that GWS had nine of the top 10 disposal players on the ground. Mm. Nine out of the top 10. Richmond's highest possession winner was Jack Graham with 22. What, what, what a great tick for the Richmond game plan. They, they were too quick. They spread and ran. And what they did, because they had those two forwards, they kicked the ball wrong. Mm. They kicked it. And then at ground level, they had the small blokes, Castagna, et cetera, that were busy mopping up. Daniel Rioli's been a bit of a revelation off halfback. They were just an amazing, efficient team because we're sitting here marvelling. Oh, Lockie Neal, 41 possessions. Um, Zach Merritt, 39. Mate, Jack Graham got 22 and they're beaten GWS by six goals. An amazing performance. Well, I, I, the thing which struck me today was that, uh, and, and Castagna was the one that made me think it. I think when Richmond are playing really well, I know he's a player that cops a bit of flack from Tiger fans, but I reckon he's also a bit of a barometer. And when they're going all right, I think you're noticing the likes of Castagna. And I noticed him a lot today. And I just thought that sort of forward half pressure, which has been such a, a cornerstone of the way they've played, that was really back on track. And that was the one quality which really dropped off for them last year under that cavalcade of injuries. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they're just efficient, aren't they? Look at the disposal count today, 339 to 404 for the Giants. Didn't cool. really matter in the finish, didn't it? Inside 50s, the Giants had more. Uh, clearances, Richmond won the clearances. Um, they won the centre clearances as well. Uh, marks inside 50, pretty even. Uh, tackles pretty even. Uh, so generally, the statistical count pretty even, but Richmond just so much more efficient, and they win so many. They win so much of the ball, don't they? With what aren't aren't even possessions, really, just the little taps and nudges, and you know, sort of forces of the ball forward. They Force do it forward, kick it off the ground. That's exactly. They do that so well, don't they? And I reckon a lot of those things where they actually gain meterage and territory. 
you don't see rewarded with stats. And, you know, ta- like they lose Grimes and the recruiting of Tarrant at what? what how old is Tarrant? 33? Uh, I think 32. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. 32. It, it just gives them Volta. It's a very perceptive recruiting, not not coup, because the bloke's at the end of his career. It, 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 when you recruit someone, it's not so much what they give you, it's what happens as a result of. And as a result of Tarrant um, coming into the side, he's been able to cover Asprey, he's been able to cover Grimes, and he gives us this mega player, Bolter, I'm, I'm just going to love watching his career, yeah. particularly this year because um, he was awesome. And 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 good on him for getting Tarrant because if you didn't get him, Bolter would have been playing fullback today. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, Bolter, I remember reading about his athletic prowess when he was drafted and, um, you know, there's a bit of that sort of slightly uncoordinated, you know, not uncoordinated, but, you know, had to be harnessed. He didn't necessarily have the nous but I think as he's sort of achieved that, this is what, like his fourth season or whatever, um, he is so primed to be a star. I, I agree with you. I was thinking exactly that today. This guy could be absolutely anything. I wonder if people realise just how good he could be. Just a, a quick word on the Giants. We've praised their resilience. They weren't disgraced last week against Sydney. Haven't necessarily been disgraced today, but... Um, I think that's about where I've got them. Just, you know, uh, not not bad, but a little bit short of the mark. Yeah, I was disappointed with them. I thought they'd dominate the midfield. Um, it was good signs for Coniglio. I'm happy for him. He's had a couple of bad years. Um, the captaincy's been shared now. But he was one player. He kicked a couple of goals, a couple of good goals. He was one player that just kept hanging in there, chipping in. They just didn't give, He just didn't give enough support. Stats are stats sometimes. You've got to really dig deep into them. Uh, Richmond's stats were purely linked to the efficiency and the game plan they want to play. They were too quick. They were mobile. They used the ground. They spread wide. But once they got within range, uh, it, it was a basic game plan. Because they were so down, they couldn't be complex. They couldn't be complicated. They had to keep it very simple, and they carried it out to perfection. Well, great win for the Tigers getting on the uh, match points scoreboard, if you like, after that first round loss to Carlton. GWS still waiting to break their duck in 2022. Okay, that left one game in round two, and that one was over in Perth. Round two finished off in Perth at Optus Stadium with Fremantle taking on St Kilda and uh, halftime looked like a pretty regulation game this Fremantle comfortably leading well in the context of a low scoring game anyway comfortably leading even if by just 12 points that was because the Saints had managed just two goals but what a turnaround in the third term St Kilda slamming on six goals to one by the Dockers to seize a um, three-goal lead themselves at the final change and then hanging on in the last quarter for a terrific 10-point win. 9-11-65, the Saints defeating Fremantle. 8-7-55. The goal kickers, well, there are only three for St Kilda. Four to Higgins, four to King 
and the other two, Butler, King and Higgins, each kicking three in that crucial third term. For the Dockers, two to Lobb, two to Collier, singles, the rest. Well, uh, big win by the Saints, always big uh, win in Perth, uh, but particularly given Fremantle were first up winners and were warm favourites for this game, Rob. Fremantle, in contrast, they'll be bitterly disappointed uh, and a bit worried about just how capable they are this year. Just got over the line against Adelaide last week and uh, have dropped a home game. I think just about everyone thought was theirs for the taking. What did you make of this one? Yeah, to be fair to say that it was a great third quarter. Like, this is astounding that um, Higgins and King uh, kicked six goals, two out of 38, out of six goals, three, 39 from nine kicks. Mm. So they had eight kicks between them. Extraordinary. Kick six goals too. It would be fair to say that Jack Higgins probably um, uh, owed the Saints after that minor, or not minor, that indiscretion with the uh, handball to Jade Gresham last week. But uh, Fremantle, yeah, you're right. Fremantle looked steady. They were going to win. And then this third quarter turned it on its head. Came on the back of Rowan Marshall's taking over in the ruck and the even spread of clearances. You've got some clearance stats you're going to read out in a moment, but Jack Ross, Steele, Gresham, they had five, five, four and four, and Crouch also had four. A domination at centre clearances and after half time, seven, four to three, six. Yeah, well, the ruck's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, Sean Darcy, obviously pivotal for Frio. He rolled his ankle and uh, was taped up and came back, but then... um, ended up being subbed out at the beginning of the last quarter, and that was pretty important in the final analysis. I think uh, those stats you were talking about, well, the Saints just won the hit-out tally, but they did have a um, pretty convincing victory for clearances, centre clearances, which they won 14-4, to and uh, around the ground, 37 to 26. So that has been fairly important in the final wash-up, I'd say. For mine, Rob, the most important thing for this out of St Kilda, and uh, it's not rocket science, or some people might say rocket surgery, was simply that all the good players... I read that. I read that. (laughs) All the good... Did you read that? (laughs) No, well, it's a bit of a a favourite, the old mixed metaphor, but... um, all the all the good players played well. I mean, you have a look at the uh, the best as named by the AFL website for the Saints, and their six best were named as being King, Hill, Higgins, Steele, Crouch, Gresham. Uh, right off the top of my head, without sitting down to really analyse it, throw in Marshall, and I reckon you probably got a list of their best half a dozen or so players, don't you? No doubt about that. But the team, the team itself was good. And, you know, four areas, win the clearances, win contested ball, win inside 50 and win the tackle count, win the game. It was a, it was a really good display, but it's, it was built, what impressed me about St Kilda, after a shaky start, an early domination, particularly by Andrew Brayshaw, uh, they got the real basics. The, the, the meat and potatoes of their game come to the fore, they got it out of the centre and they had something that Fremantle didn't have. They had a six-foot-seven full forward. And that's uh, underlined by the, the marks inside 50 tally in this game as well, which was 12 Yeah, this is three. interesting. Well, 12 to three in St Kilda's uh, favour. You take three marks inside 
your forward 50, you're not going to win too many games of footy, are you? No, mate, no. I don't, I don't know about Fremantle. I was almost convinced that they're a potential big improver this year. I think it's been sort of slow, steady progress under Justin Longmuir, but you do wonder when they lose even a couple of key players in particular parts of the ground, just how much depth they actually have. Mind you, I've wondered that about St Kilda as well. I think these are, I think these are two sides probably around the same level. You know, their best is very good, but they don't produce it consistently enough, and they struggle when they're without their best sides either on the park or playing their best footy. Do you agree with that? Well, I think um, certainly with Fremantle. We quite possibly had them ahead of Carlton, Hawthorne and Collingwood. Yeah. From memory, maybe yep. ninth yep. around the mark with Essendon, certainly ahead of St Kilda, certainly ahead of St Kilda. So despite the fact we're two games in, disappointing start for Fremantle, lost Cherida, Carlton. So who knows how that midfield's going to adjust. Yeah, well, they've got to be better than that if they want to aspire to uh, a position in the eight. Ditto. St Kilda if they're going to get back to where they were in 2020. However, both sides, at least on the board after two games in 2022, both the Dockers and Saints sitting at one win, one loss after two rounds. Well, that was it for all nine men's games over the weekend. However, we are at the pointy end of the AFLW season and there was a final played there on the weekend Let's have a chat about that. Well, it took a while, but we have finally had both qualifying finals played in the AFLW. The Brisbane-Collingwood game, of course, delayed initially after uh, another COVID complication. That's been a backdrop to this entire AFLW season. They've done remarkably well to get this far, really, with all those uh, handicaps. However... Uh, we finally had the second qualifying final played today at the Gabba between Brisbane and Collingwood, and it saw a smashing. The Lions, in beast mode, beat the Pies by 50 points, 10-10-70 to Collingwood, 3-2-20. The goal kickers, two to Bodie, two to Wardlaw, singles to Anderson, O'Dwyer, Campbell, Hodder, Svark and Farquharson. And for Collingwood, one each to Frederick, Malloy, Newman. Well, Collingwood just one goal, one at half time, Rob, and already uh, more than 20 points down. It was going to be a struggle. And Brisbane just went from strength to strength, cashing in in the last quarter with another four goals to, to the Pies' solitary goal. That means our two preliminary finals, both to be played next Saturday in the AFLW. Melbourne will play Brisbane at 12.40pm at the MCG. First ever AFL premiership game played at the MCG. And the other, um, after that first game, will be played in Adelaide, 2.40pm Eastern Daylight Saving Time. And that is between Adelaide and Fremantle. But the reigning premiers, Rob, they ramped it up against the Pies and looked very ominous indeed. I've got a limerick or a riddle for you, Rowan. Yeah. What's the difference between Araya O'Dwyer and Tex Wanganane? No, you got me. What is it? One family saw their daughter play and one family didn't see their son play. Ah, yes, fair point. They came all the way from Ireland. Did you know that? I didn't know that, no. There you go. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair effort and... Um, 
Yeah. She's a good player. She's your second favourite player <laughs> in the Brisbane team. After Is Courtney. That right? Oh, well, I am, I am a big Courtney Hodder fan, Rob. Uh, got on to Courtney last year when she started making her name, and she's become a very important player in that Brisbane lineup. Uh, well, she is. Hey, mate, you worry me. Why is that? You're very confident about Melbourne's capacity to beat this side on the MCG next week. Is that because of the home ground advantage? The team that I saw today is clearly, the, from what I've seen, and folks, I haven't seen every game. I've seen a fair bit. You're telling me Melbourne's a better side than this Brisbane side I saw today? Oh, not necessarily. I just think they've been uh, probably a little bit steadier, and I think right. they've got a. I think they've got a real point to prove too, because Melbourne have been thereabouts the entire yeah, they have. Right history on. of this competition, but haven't even made it to a grand final. So they're on a bit of a mission, I think. But uh, oh, look, don't get me wrong; I wouldn't be at all surprised if Brisbane won. And uh, that's the best thing about this. Perhaps I don't think there's any doubt we've got the best four teams of this season playing off in the two preliminary finals. So a great win by Brisbane, 10-10-70, defeating Collingwood 3-2-20. And those two preliminary finals next week, Melbourne to play Brisbane at the MCG and Adelaide to play Fremantle in the second preliminary final to determine our grand finalists. Uh, that's it for this week. Thanks to your company, everyone. Um, this proud uh, podcast proudly brought to you as ever by Palmerbet. Get great tackle-busting benefits all AFL season via our friends at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly, of course. Uh, you can uh, donate to uh, our little podcast at the supporter page wherever you whatever platform you choose to listen to us and you can become an official footyology patron via one of the many links at the footyology website footyology.com.au and plenty of great stuff up there now we've got uh, the rap by shane hope of round two already up you've got gil griffin's aflw match report uh some other great reading from our many fine contributors and of course not just about football or sport. We do politics, we do social commentary, we do music, we do movies, we do the arts, you name it, we do it. Um, and uh, Rob, I've got to say, a little self-indulgent, but we've both made a big sacrifice tonight. We could have been at the farewell gig by Midnight Oil, but instead here we are diligently churning out another podcast. So I hope everyone out there appreciates it. So we chose Sean Darcy and Rowan Marshall over Peter Garrett. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, yeah. I figured... Uh, yeah, righto. I, I figured, given I've seen the Oils 40-odd times... 40 maybe, times. Maybe that was enough. But uh, I, I'll look, I'll, as soon as we're finished... Never this, enough. Never uh, enough. No, I'm going to go and stick on the um, uh, Oils on Water gig from uh, Goat Island 1985. One of the 85. great... Oh, it's one of the great all-time gigs. It was the 10th birthday of 2 Double J, and they celebrated in fine style with an incredible gig but every gig the oils ever did was incredible and um uh good luck to everyone who was there tonight anyway uh so yeah we, we diverged slightly there we'll see you again midweek for yep. the round three preview episode have a good week everyone <laughs>